it's nice to have some sort of creativity and music back in my life actually it's, it's a funny thing like I didn't really know how much I missed it until I actually got it back again Hello, and welcome to Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig deeper into a pivotal moment in the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book. You can get yourself a copy of the book now using the promo code PODCAST15 to get 15% off. You can find the link on the main page of my podcast. Today's guest is musician Mickey Bereni from one of my favorite bands from the 90s, Lush. When Lush broke up in 1996 after the death of drummer Chris Ackland, Mickey took some time off away from the music industry to regroup and start a new career outside of music. In 2015, the remaining members of Lush, Emma Anderson, Phil King, and Mickey, reformed with former Elastica drummer Justin Welch for an EP and a tour. The reunion was short-lived, but Justin was excited to pursue new musical avenues with Mickey and Mick Conroy from Modern English, who had joined Lush on some of their reunion tour dates. Along with Mickey's partner Moose, the quartet formed Poroshka, who released their debut record in 2019. Mickey tells the story of the Lush reunion, their subsequent second breakup, and how Poroshka came into being. I'll let Mickey take it from here. I suppose the story kind of begins more with the end of Lush, in that you know, I think in 1996 when the band broke up, I think I was really, well, I think we were all really exhausted. And then obviously with Chris's suicide, that kind of just completely, you know, knocked the ground from under me. And, um, but, you know, even outside of that, I think I'd, you know, the, I think Lush was just such a sort of big part of our lives. I mean, it came first before absolutely everything. And I think I was just on the brink of turning 30 and it was just all a bit March anyway, even without Chris's death. So the sort of subsequent 20 years, I just, you know, built a new life. I got a job, you know, and I had children and me and Moose were together and I actually really enjoyed being kind of liberated from what had become a real treadmill and quite a lot of baggage to carry with the band and just the pressures of it and the infighting and the expectations of being, you know, inverted commas, Mickey from Lush. So I actually was really enjoying being a normal person, you know, with a normal life and a, you know, a less precarious career actually working in at magazines, I became a sub-editor. And it was nice. I liked being working in an office. And I don't know, it just, it was, it was great to have had like, you know, a second chance, I suppose, to do something, you know, have some, a more solid life, which I think definitely suits, suited family life as well. I mean, God alone knows how I would have raised the children or had them even if I'd have carried on being in a band. So I was quite reluctant to let that go. But I think because of the difficulties of how Lush ended, it was a very black and white situation. Like it was just like this door slamming and a second life beginning. There was no kind of bleed through. <clears throat> I totally stopped going to gigs. I stopped playing music. I just needed to get away from the whole thing. So when the Lush reunion was mooted, and there were a few 
discussions. I mean, obviously coming more from Emma and Phil, who were still doing music. Um, and even in their jobs, I mean, Emma was working for a booking agent. So they were both, and you know, Phil was working at the NME and Uncut in music papers. So they always had a foot in that world. Um, and occasionally opportunities have come up to sort of reform Lush, but I was really, really reluctant. Not least because the children got, were quite small then and it would have been very, very difficult to do. <clears throat> so I think when the the sort of last you know discussion about it which is the one that actually came to fruition in 19 uh to 2016 god my decades mixed up um you know that that seemed to be quite a solid well thought out offering um emma had met a manager who was really enthusiastic there were you know, she had a contact with Daniel Hunt uh, from Ladytron, and he had worked with Jim Abbas, a producer. So both of them kind of came in with wanting to do a project with us, which ended up being the Out of Control EP. Um, and there was a bit more kind of meat to this offer. It wasn't just, oh, someone's offered us to do a gig or you know, something a bit vague. This was like 4AD were on board. They were going to reissue, you know, they put out chorus. So all of these plans started to sort of congregate, which made it a lot more of a kind of communal effort with a bit more, like I said, a bit more meat to it. Um, and I've always, you know, it was really great to have some of the old faces like Chris Big was going to do the artwork. So I don't know, it just felt like getting back into a more, comfortable flow than than feeling like oh my god I haven't done this in 20 years and I don't know anybody involved and I don't know what I'm doing there was a slightly you know more welcoming kind of environment <clears throat> with people who were willing to do you know a fair bit of the driving of it so I did still think about it long and hard I was really nervous I hadn't played music in a long time the thought of being on a stage and performing all of those things were really daunting. But I think because there was a momentum, um, it felt easier to just sort of take my bit of it. So, you know, even with when we started recording Out of Control, um, they were Emma's songs. And I just wasn't confident to start writing music, like a whole song to write a song all over again and you know me and Emma always wrote separately so it's very it's not really like getting together and jamming and writing a song together it's like writing the whole thing on your own and I just didn't feel I had that in me really I wouldn't have even known where to begin but because Emma had these songs I said look let me write the lyrics in that case which she did and um it took me a really long time and quite a lot of writing and rewriting um but it was a really good way to sort of get back into the flow of, of having that kind of creative input. I think right, trying to write a whole song would have been really overwhelming, but this was, uh, you know, a, a sort of easier path in. And, and I mean, I don't mean easy as in, you know, oh, I can knock off a few lyrics. I mean, Emma sets the bar very high. You know, I think she's an amazing songwriter. So there was a real pressure to come up with something that was you know, match the quality of her music. 
But that was quite a good test, actually. I mean, it took me months, but it was, you know, that was probably my first sort of um, creative input with anything like that in, like I say, two decades. So, and again, you know, going into a chord out of control, um, I hadn't performed at all. So having to record the vocals and play the guitar, um, it was really daunting. But actually that went, you know, really well and it was really enjoyable. And, you know, there was a really good atmosphere in the studio. And I can remember doing the vocals to this song, Rosebud, and actually Jim being like really blown away. I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but he really was like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And so it just gave me a huge amount of confidence. So then the kind of lead up to the gigs, um, there was a lot to learn and I'd forgotten loads of the songs. So I actually spent many, many weeks looking at, well, thank God for the internet because there was loads of YouTube videos I could just look at and then figure out what on earth I'd played live during various songs. <clears throat> and, you know, it was quite hard work, but... I think when it came to rehearsing and, you know, and ultimately performing, I was sort of genuinely blown away by how much I actually enjoyed it. I, I hadn't expected to enjoy it quite that much and quite, like, even on the sort of really minuscule level of just being in a rehearsal room and banging out a few tunes. And, you know, there was a sort of rush of familiarity and, you know, genuine enjoyment. Um, that I'd kind of been scared to get involved in again, I think, you know. Um, I was, you know, I, a lot of the worry I had about that reunion was, is it going to bring back all the memories of Chris? You know, am I just going to look around on stage and feel bereft because he's not there? Is it going to be too much to deal with? Um, you know, I mean, I worried even about, I mean, general things like the legacy of the band, you know, Lush were quite well loved and and celebrated for the music they've done I didn't want to spoil that and there is something slightly cynical about a reunion you know people do sneer a bit and go oh okay you're cashing in now <clears throat> so you know there's a lot to sort of think about and worry about and you know I wasn't sure about whether it was the right decision but I think you know Ultimately, when I finally went along with it, which did actually require also not least Moose, who was going to get, you know, lumbered with the lion's share of the childcare and while I'm off, you know, rehearsing and recording and touring and all of that stuff. So that was a big decision for him as well. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I had like, yeah, I just, I just had like this fear that I'm, <laughs> this vision that I'm going to be calling home from like, I don't know, some hotel in America, like weeping and going, oh, it's all gone wrong. I should never have done this and missing the kids and missing Moose and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But actually, like I say, it, it was, you know, actually, I mean, that's not a million miles away from what did happen on some level, but for completely different reasons. And I think, um, ultimately I just thought it, you know, it was a really good thing to have done. Um, and I, I sort of appreciated that, you know, this was on the cusp of me turning 50, that this really was the kind of last chance to, to do anything like that again. 
And so when the kind of lush reunion tour, which was always going to be quite a finite thing anyway, when that kind of finished, uh, Justin had already been making suggestions and saying, well, you know, it'd be a real shame after having done all this work and, you know, got back into it. You know, do you not think you'd want to, want to keep doing music? And he was sort of suggesting, oh, you should do like a solo project. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm just not a solo person. I can't motivate myself in that way. You know, me and Moose have been together for like two decades and we never managed to get anything together despite having chats about it. It's just neither of us is really built to sort of start something up like that. And, you know, but Justin was really enthusiastic and persistent so when we when Lush played their last gig we'd actually actually the final gig in Manchester uh, Phil had already left by then so we got uh, Mick Conroy in to play the bass and that actually required me and Justin and Mick rehearsing like a lot you know because he had 27 songs to learn for like one night (laughs) understandably Emma was like I'm not going through all that again so you know we did most of the rehearsing together and actually playing together that was really good fun <laughs> you know just we you know we really enjoyed ourselves so i think after the the final show justin actually did sort of keep well not keep going on about it but he said look i'm going to send you some stuff and let's just see what happens and you know you don't have to do anything but it will be a nice thing and blah blah and then because I did have that vestige of thinking, God, that actually was really good fun. I just thought, all right, well, let's, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I'll write some vocal lines to the stuff that he's sending. And Moose was sitting here, you know, and I was going, well, do you want to play some guitar? You know, it'd be great for you to get involved. And I was really happy to get on board. That's KJ Moose McKillop, Mickey's partner and Peroshka bandmate. I think um, I kind of came in thinking that I would be something of a, a kind of a, not a lesser, a lesser partner, but, but maybe just um, helping out a little bit. Um, but once, once it was up and running, it was uh, such fun. I mean, really, it, you know, the, the, we, we had such a good time from the, from the very start. From the first, um, the first get together for rehearsals when we just had, you know, half a dozen ideas that we demoed. Um, it, it, we instantly got a really good vibe from sort of doing the music together. That kind of early period of, uh, sort of working together, you know, it was, we were, very quiet about it. Like we didn't make any sort of announcement that, you know, we were going to be working together and we just decided to start recording self-funded and with not really any clue as to where it would end up or whether whether it would even get released and it was sort of quite an interesting way to do it for me because I think I was very used to you know Lush always had like this forward momentum and it was very much about you know aiming for a kind of ambitious goal and to have something that was just really purely just for the pleasure of making music uh, was quite a new experience. And I think, you know, it continues to be that because I think whereas 
lush just was totally overwhelming. I mean, it really was the major part of my life, at, you know, when I was in that band. It's kind of interesting to be in a band that is part of your life rather than like, you know, overwhelmingly controls it. Um, which is, you know, but possibly more understanding for someone in their fifties as well. I don't know how you can manage that when you're my age, unless you're massively successful, I'm, I suppose. But it's, um, it's nice to have some sort of creativity and music back in my life, actually. It's, it's a funny thing. Like I didn't really know how much I missed it until I actually got it back again. Many thanks to Mickey for sharing her story. She's currently working on writing her memoir, hopefully for release in the coming year. And before we let Mickey go, here are a few of her favorite things she's currently listening to, reading, and watching. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to pick is a book. It's Viv Albertine's autobiography. Close, close, close. Music, music, music. Boys, boys, boys. Um, and it sort of relates to this story because it was reading that book that uh, sort of actually was instrumental in tilting me towards going back into music because there's a whole sort of section where she starts playing again and does, I think she goes to like an open mic night. Um, and it's, it's sort of quite interesting because no one knows who she is and it's full of kind of blokes and it actually sounds incredibly intimidating. And I, I thought I would, I sort of really admired her balls actually to just go into that environment and, find a way back into the thing that she had once done um and i think she sort of hinted at that this whole idea of like this was going to be the year of saying yes like she was just going to do stuff and not overthink it and i uh, very much adopted that i think it's a great book to read if you're you know to looking for inspiration in how to how to overcome your fears and just go for it without being really glib and crap, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's really good. And I think what I also quite love about it is that it does give you, it, it's quite a unique voice. I've, I sort of, I've read and seen so many kind of documentaries and accounts of the time that, you know, of punk rock and it's, really refreshing actually to read a different view you know rather than I, I don't know I suppose there's a consensus over you know Malcolm McLaren was a tosser and you know Sid Vicious was a thug and blah 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 and everybody sort of discusses these people and these times in a certain way and actually her view is completely different like she's got these really quite sweet and lovely little anecdotes about Sid Vicious and how you know you get a completely different side to his personality and even how he met Nancy Spungen and her sort of, you know, it's, you do feel quite in the room when you read it. And it's just really interesting to get a different angle on all of these people because, you know, she doesn't go along with the consensus. She's actually got a very unique take on all of those things, including like playing music and being a girl in a band. Um, she's really honest. So it's a great book to read for, um, a different view 
of something that may seem incredibly familiar. I'm going to pick the art uh, of Vaughan Oliver and Chris Big and the whole B23 teamwork of, you know, the, the two of them were basically behind B23, which was the, the art section of 4AD Records. And it's worth checking out all of their art stuff because it's, I think, really influential and, you know, kind of, um, it, I don't know, it's interesting to watch a kind of like, you know, evolution of an art form that is so massively linked to music and a label. Um, and I, you know, Chris Big has worked with Poroshka. Well, he's done all the Poroshka stuff, actually. And Vaughan obviously did loads of Lush stuff. And it's interesting that we often, I certainly used their sleeves as inspiration for, or actually all the titles I think I came up with, um, like Scar, it was after I saw Vaughan's sleeve, which had those kind of scratches down and split as well. It was because he used this photography and there was a split background of red and yellow. And although, you know, those sort of titles would have an echo in the music that had been recorded for them, I think it's interesting that the sleeves themselves were the things that kind of confirmed the title choice. And it's the same with Poroshka, like Brickbat came after seeing Chris's sleeve, which has these sort of red blocks on it, and Love Drips and Gathers as well. There's a sort of, you know, the sleeve, there's something about blood pooling in drops that I thought kind of, um, yeah, it fit with, with that title, which I then went looking for in poems and found. So I think, um, yeah, I think their art is really inspirational creatively. So number three is, I'm, I'm sort of using my starting point as a band called Pictish Trail, who we played with in Edinburgh, I think a couple of years ago, and I'm quite lazy with new music I hate to say it but Moose is the one who usually brings new music into the house I kind of you know I I tend to really enjoy bands but I have to have them kind of waved under my nose so playing with this band they were so amazing and I was genuinely blown away and then I really like they they run a I, they're such a weird bunch. I mean, weird bunch sounds awful, but they actually live on this island called Egg, which is off the north of Scotland. Um, and they have this whole little community and there's, they've got a label called Lost Map with all different artists on. And they had a night where they had like various artists performing, um, in London, which we went to and they were just brilliant. And I really loved the idea. You know, in these difficult times of everybody's quite spread out, it's quite difficult for new bands to break through. You know, the internet has many great things about it, but it is quite sort of scattergun. And I think it is hard for bands to, you know, make an impression. And I like these, these little communities that are springing up around labels and kind of little scenes that don't have to be in like London or New York or, you know, kind of big hubs. I think the Island of Egg is about as far away from a hub as you could possibly get. And 
you know, it's similar, there's another label called Milk Records that a friend of mine, Liz, who lives in Tasmania, recommended because that's got like Courtney Barnett and Jen Cloer and this artist called Hachiku. And I just, I don't know, I'm sort of, it gives me some hope because there's so much talk about, oh, you know, bands are over. It's just all big solo artists and major labels and there's no room for bands to make money or make an impression. And when I see these little oases of bands springing up and grouping together, I think it's, you know, it gives me genuine hope that there's, you know, this this will come back again, you know, <laughs> that kind of grassroots music. Uh, number four, um, <laughs> I am being really ne- nepotistic now because I'm going to pick Moose. Um, Simon Raymond, who runs Bella Union, uh, which is our label, uh, is putting together some Moose reissues and... Um, they're long, long overdue, and we're very excited about it. But I, I'm picking it also because it's really interesting for me to work with Moose doing music. You know, I think when I was in a band with Emma, I, it, you know, I was influenced a lot by her songwriting, and um, she had a very interesting way of. I mean, specifically, I suppose, very early on with Lush, you know, I was very kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Everything was quite simply laid out. And I was, you know, Emma would write in this quite meandering way. She would just go where the song took her, which was a real education for me. And I sort of learned a lot from that. And now, working with Moose, there are songs, you know, there's songs that that he's written that I've sung on where I just, it's taken me a while to understand what is going on. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sort of singing this song and going, I'm sure this needs to go around four times, not three. And I think working with someone who's got such a different sort of, I'm, well, skewed is the wrong word, but, you know, they've got their own music in their own head and the confidence to put that down. And I think it's it's really worth exploring Moose's music because he doesn't write in a conventional way. Um, it's It's... You know, it's quite fascinating and rewarding. Well, finally, number five. Um, I'm going to sort of pick a double uh, dose, which is two TV series. One is called I Will Destroy You, and the other one is We Are Lady Parts. Um, and I'm picking them because I think, uh, you know, one is written by a woman, Michaela Cole, who is black and um, I'm not sure who wrote We Are Lady Parts actually, but it's about a Muslim punk band. And I think both of them have a real kind of London feel about them. And I watched both and thought they were both brilliant and was just struck by how, um, I don't know, like how how come these voices have only just started to be you know uh sort of celebrated and recognized i mean i was genuinely quite sort of shocked to realize the massive gap that there's been because you know the whole time i've grown up in london it's clearly very multicultural and multi-ethnic and you know i always associated a lot of culture i suppose mainly music really with 
kind of people from diverse backgrounds and and you know different classes but it really struck me that for a major television airing that has actually been sorely lacking and it was really interesting to watch these two programs and how effortlessly brilliant they were you know you're sort of told that oh it will be really niche and no one's going to be interested in the story of a you know I don't know a black woman kind of navigating her way around relationships but they're both amazing I don't know they're just really funny and really effortless and um yeah it just it just sort of made me really appreciate that you know having like these fresh voices is um massively important culturally I worry a little bit about that because I think the arts are actually going the other way I think funding is being cut here in schools and stuff and you wonder where the next wave of opportunity will come from you know um but anyway I'm rambling but I just I just wanted to include them because I was genuinely it's like the in the last year those are the things that have really blown me away watching tv That's all for today's episode. Please be sure to also check out my book, Live Through That, available everywhere now for more stories and photos. And remember, you can get 15% off using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link on the podcast page. You can also find that link in the profile on my Twitter account at MikeHipplePhoto or my Instagram account at MikeHipple. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.